All right, greetings and welcome to episode six of The Invisible Enemy, COVID-19. So again, we're looking at some of the early days of the COVID pandemic, whatever you want to call it. And um, through uh, the book that I have written and am still writing, you know, still have uh, what I have right now is 175 pages, not even a rough draft, but at least, you know, a couple of first 50, 60, 70 pages maybe what I considered done, a few minor typos that I've caught just by going through this here, which is another great thing to go through this and that kind of will say, hopefully it'll save me a little time later on um, during the, the whole editing process. But the goal of this is just to kind of document in real time at that time, which is what I did, document in real time what was happening um, with COVID in the news media. And it was like living in two different worlds where you know, whatever President Trump said was bad and anything that went against that was good. So we see how everything is kind of flopped where first it was, you know, um, first it was bad to do all the things that we're going to see that now they want us to do. So we'll definitely get there, I suppose. Um, so what I wanted to do here is kind of let people know, um, if you don't know, if you want to look more into this or just kind of do a little backtracking, uh, I do have a website, whatistruth911.wordpress.com, and that's where I put up um, pretty much anything that is not related to David Crowley. You, you'll be able to find that here. And so I have now a whole section for the invisible enemy, COVID-19. And there I'm going to add um, a lot of different things. You can get to the Facebook page. You can download whatever I have, the most recent version of what we're going to be reading through here. And then, of course, every episode, I'll be adding those um, to the same area. So one, two, three, four, five. So far, five episodes there. And I'm also going to add them in audio version. So I'm working on that um, with the podcast. So they will all be here at some point in a podcast version as well uh, for people who like to listen to Spotify or when they travel, going to work, from, from work, all that good stuff. So I'll be working on that and uploading episode one through five, and they'll all be in the same section too. So um, hopefully that'll help with everybody and with all of your research. And Or if you just ever want to take a trip down memory lane, I'm going to try to make it as easy for you as possible. And um, I've tried to back up a lot of the articles that are mentioned here because I was afraid and still am afraid that a lot of them are going to get scrubbed if they haven't. I have to be very careful on social media, apparently, about what you say about COVID. So um, I'm not concerned about it. I mean, uh, YouTube is like one of the worst. Facebook is really bad, too. But um, uh, we just do go where God leads you and don't worry about the rest. Don't worry about anything else and just... Uh, if you have that calling, go and do his will. So that's what I felt that I was going to do here. So well, let's get right into it. So we have made it to April 3rd in the book. I'm going to bring that up here right now. And let's do, I believe it's the focus view, right? focus mode. There we go. Okay. So we'll continue looking at this. Um, we already looked at April 3rd. We looked at that. We looked at Dr. Escott. That was the last thing we looked at. So now we're going to go to um, between April 3rd and April 4th, according to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. New York State had 10,841 new cases of COVID-19. 
bringing the total to 113,704 cases. That's just cases. Governor Cuomo expected a peak in COVID-19 cases within the next four to eight days. Two-thirds of the 1,500 905 people hospitalized in New York have been discharged. That's really good. Reportedly, there was a total of 3,565 deaths in the entire state. So of the 100, as of April 3rd, April 4th, um, 2020, of the 113,704 cases, total cases reported, total cases, there were 3,565 deaths in the entire state. So there you go. Uh, let's now go to April 4th. On April 4th, 2020, 155 sailors aboard the USS Theodore Roosevelt aircraft carrier tested positive for COVID-19. That's a huge number, 155 sailors testing positive. This is a bio uh, attack, however you want to look at it. Um, this is big. I mean, this. look at the targets. Look at who is being hit with this. Um, this is a big, big deal. So it was interesting why, um, you know, it wasn't being taken so seriously. And now we've kind of gotten through it, gone through all of that. And we're not seeing cases like this. Is that because people have gotten it and now their body has built up a tolerance for it? 50% of the 1,825 sailors aboard had been tested, and fortunately, none needed to be hospitalized. That's very interesting, too. So um, of the 825 sailors tested, 155 aboard um, tested positive. None needed to be hospitalized. That's also good to note. Um, we can see, especially in the early days, how this was affecting uh, older people. And um, obviously, the sailors need to be in good health and good shape. and that could be another reason why they're not, you know, on a respirator at this point or needed to be hospitalized. So, but the sailors were then moved to hotels in Guam. So you can look at that. Now, this is a very important one here because um, this gets into some interesting stuff here. So two days earlier, commanding officer of the USS Theodore Roosevelt, Captain Brett E. Crozier, was fired by Acting Secretary of the Navy, Thomas B. Modley. Captain Cozier wrote a letter to his superiors on March 30th, 2020, requesting, quote, assistance in response to COVID-19 pandemic. On April 2nd, Secretary Modley explained what led to Captain Crozier's being let go. So here's what the Secretary Modley, Modley says. When the commanding officer of the USS Theodore Roosevelt decided to write this letter, Mosley stated during a press statement of 30th March 2020 that outlined his concern for his crew in the midst of the COVID-19 outbreak. The Department of the Navy had already mobilized significant resources for days in response to his previous request. On the same date marked on his letter, my chief of staff had called the CO directly at my request to ensure he had all the resources necessary for the health and safety of his crew. The CO told my chief of staff that he was receiving those resources and was fully aware of the Navy's response, only asking that he wished the crew could be evacuated faster. My chief of staff ensured that the CO knew that he had an open line to me to use at any time. He even called the CO again a day later to follow up. At no time did the CO relate 
the various levels of alarm that I, along with the rest of the world, learned from his letter when it was published two days later. The letter was sent over non-secure, unclassified email, Secretary Moldley, Moldley um, continued. Even though the ship possessed some of the most sophisticated communications and encryption equipment in the fleet, that's pretty interesting. So he could have sent it classified, secured, but didn't for whatever reason. In my judgment, Moldy continued, leaving him of his command was in the best interest of the United States Navy and the nation in this time when the nation needs the Navy to be strong and confident in the face of, advers of adversity. The responsibility for this decision rests with me. I expect no congratulations for it, and it gives me no pleasure in making it. Captain Crozier is an honorable man who, despite this uncharacteristic lapse of judgment, has dedicated himself throughout a lifetime of incredible service to our nation. So obviously this was a very interesting story because here you have, um, you know, what, what would, what's the, the motivation of Captain Crozier? And is it true, if it's true, that his requests have, were already answered and then he's sending um, an email, a letter over a non-secure unclassified um, system? Why would, why would he do this? So um, when the story first broke, it was kind of like, I really didn't understand what was going on, who was you know, right? Who was wrong? Why would he do this? Did he, did he deserve to be fired for this? Um, did he pass this on to certain news media outlets that may already hate Trump and are looking for other things that they can blame Trump? Because remember, Trump is a president at this time, so everything that the military does, all that is going to reflect on him at some point in some way. So, um, but you can read that in AmericanMilitaryNews.com. Uh, here's Navy's full official statement on why they fired aircraft carrier captain. So, and then they have the actual letter if you want the letter. To me, that was very important to make sure that people could actually get the letter. Um, some of these letters, like I've said in previous shows, were not easy to find. So I wanted to make it very easy for people to find it. And I'll put it right there in the book. <laughs> That's pretty easy, right? So there's everything right there if you just want to see um, what that letter is, and you can decide for yourself if this was uh, justified and, and if um, his, what he was requesting was already, was already there. So, you know, in, inappropriate, some of the, I'll just read some of the bullet points, I guess, and this is from March 30th, 2020, problem statement inappropriate focusing on testing. Testing has no direct influence on the spread of COVID-19 virus. Pretty interesting. It merely confirms the presence of the virus. Wow. <laughs> maybe, maybe he was onto something. So um, everybody's that's in close con. It is pretty interesting of the 1800, almost close to 1900 sailors, um, only 155 tested positive. Uh, things like that always make me very interested when you have a house full of people and only a few of them test positive. Why? What's what's the difference? You know what? What do these other people have that uh, other people in the same house don't have? So it's close contact. So yeah, he's saying the testing testing will only be useful as a ship returns to work after isolation or quarantine. Interesting to confirm the effectiveness of the quarantine period. So um, 
Here's what he says about the COVID-19 test. The COVID-19 test cannot prove a sailor does not have the virus. It can only prove that a sailor does. Interesting. Um, that's interesting. So based on an illustration, as an illustration of the first 33 sailors diagnosed with COVID-19, 21%, seven of the 33 infected sailors were negative on a COVID-19 test, then subsequently presented with symptoms of COVID-19 infection within one to three days post-test. Yeah, so continue the testing. Test. So testing is um, inappropriate focusing on the testing. Very interesting stuff. Based on data since the first case, approximately 21% of the sailors that tested negative are currently moving into group restriction movement ashore are currently infected, will develop symptoms over the next several days, and will proceed to infect the remainder of their shore-based restriction group. So even the ones, what are you saying, kind of, if I'm reading this correctly, even the ones who tested negative, um, just because they test negative doesn't mean they don't have it, et cetera, et cetera. So he's really calling into question the, um, uh, the tests themselves. It's pretty interesting when you think about what's happening in the world today inappropriate quarantine and isolation with the exceptions of a handful of senior officers stateroom none of the brethren on board a warship is appropriate for quarantine or isolation thousands of close contact sailors require quarantine in accordance with guidance and they begin to move people off of the ship so it's pretty interesting you probably want to give that a read two sailors have already tested positive in an open bay gymnasium equipment with cot. So it's spreading, it's spreading, it's spreading, right? Pretty interesting. The environment most conductive to spread the disease is the environment the crew of the TR, the, uh, TR Theodore Roosevelt is in right now, both aboard the ship and ashore. Large amounts of sailors in a confined space, open shared brethren, birthing, 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 Shared restroom facilities, combined, share, yeah, so all these things, this is how it's going to spread. It's going to spread mandatory watch, et cetera, et cetera. So it really affects their, the way that, um, that the Navy you know, is run, running everything. <laughs> Number four, ineffective current strategy. So he's basically saying, you know, there's no strategy. You don't have a strategy for this. So um, that's pretty interesting. Number five, lessons learned from the Diamond Princess. Um, yeah, so the com the only comparable one, the infection aboard the Diamond Princess, the, the cruise ship, I remember the cruise ship, I remember reading about that, a cruise ship carrying a large number of people in confined spaces with relative homogenous mixing. On February 3rd, 2020, an outbreak of COVID-19 on cruise ship Diamond Princess was reported following an index case aboard around 21-25 January. By 4 February, public health measures such as removal and isolation of ill passengers and quarantine of non-ill passengers were, were implemented. By 20 February, 619 of 3,700 passengers and crew, 17%, were tested positive. We estimated that without any intervention within the time period of 21 January to 19 February, 2,920 out of the 3,700, 79% would have been infected. Isolation and quarantine therefore prevented 2,307 cases. So let's look what he's recommending. We showed that an early evacuation of all passengers 
on 3 February would have been associated with 76 infected persons as opposed to 619. So uh, conclusions, the cruise ship and conditions clearly amplified an already highly transmittable di disease. The public health measures prevented more than 2000 additional cases compared to no interventions. However, evacuating all passengers and crew early on in the outbreak would have prevented many more passengers and crew from infection. Interesting. So because they're all there, because they quarantined them all. Hmm, that's pretty interesting stuff. Um, so good to read this. I haven't read this in a long time. The conclusion, divisive act, decisive action is required. Removing the majority of personnel from a deployed U.S. nuclear aircraft carrier and isolating them for two weeks may seem like an extraordinary measure. A portion of the crew would have to stay aboard to run the reactor plant, sanitize the ship, ensure security, and provide for contingency response to emergencies. This is a necessary risk. It will enable the carrier and air wing to get back underway as quickly as possible while ensuring the health and safety of our sailors keeping over 4,000 young men and women on board the TR is an unnecessary risk and breaks faith with those sailors entrusted to our care. Pretty interesting, very interesting comments uh, by Crozier. What do you think about that? So he's basically re requesting that all available resources to find the Navy admin and CDC compliant quarantine rooms for his entire crew as soon as possible. He wants them all quarantined and thinks that that will be the best way to get them back up and running as soon as possible. Because if there if there's some that are exposed, some that aren't, or some if everybody's exposed, some are positive, some are negative. Uh, just because somebody tests negative now. They may get it later, they may be infected later, things like that. So quarantining the, the, the ones who are infected and who aren't infected in the same ship makes, I mean, I, I see what he's saying, makes sense um, from his point. So I don't know. Uh, let's see what Secretary Modley was, were they already moldly, were they already moldy? <laughs> so I'm never going to get that right. Were they already doing this or not? The decision is not one for retribution, retribution Secretary Moldley said. At the end of the statement, it is about confidence. It is not an indictment of character, but rather of judgment. While I do take issue with the validity of some of the points in Captain Crozier's letter, he was absolutely correct in raising them. It was the way in which he did this by not working through and with his strike group commander to develop a strategy to resolve the problems he raised. By not sending the letter to and through his chain of command, by not protecting the sensitive nature of the information contained within the letter appropriately. And lastly, by not reaching out to me directly to voice his concerns after that avenue had been provided to him through my team, that was unacceptable. Let me be clear, you all have a duty to be transparent with your respective chain of command, even if you fear they might disagree with you. This duty requires courage, but it also requires respect for that chain of command and for the sensitivity of the information you decide to share in the manner you choose to share it. So that's pretty interesting. I'm kind of understanding a little bit more about both sides, just kind of rereading through this. Um, but yeah, like there's there's a way to do it. Obviously, you don't want to do it because if um, you want to do it through a secure communication process, because if the enemy is listening, the visible enemies out there, 
Um, and if they know that the ship is vulnerable, right, you don't want that getting out there to the, to the public, definitely not to other countries who may be able to take advantage of that situation. So I get I can see both sides of it. All right, so uh, let's see what President Trump has to say about that, what he said. Um, I don't know much about it, President Trump said of the new captain firing during his April 4th press briefing. I can only tell you this. Here we have one of the greatest ships in the world, nuclear aircraft carrier, incredible ship with thousands and thousands of people. And you had about 120 that were infected. Now, I guess the captain stopped in Vietnam and people got off of Vietnam. Perhaps you don't do that in the middle of a pandemic or something that looked like it was going to be. More importantly, President Trump continued, he wrote a letter. The letter was a five-page letter from a captain, and the letter was all over the place. That's not appropriate. I don't think that's appropriate. Now they made their decision. I didn't make the decision. Secretary of Defense was involved. A lot of people were involved. I thought it was terrible what he did. To write a letter, I agree with their decision 100%. So there you go. President Trump was also asked about Joe Biden's recent criticism, where the former vice president said, Donald Trump is not responsible for the coronavirus, but he is responsible for failing to prepare our nation to respond to it. He didn't write that, President Trump responded. That was done by a Democrat operative. He doesn't write. He's probably not even watching right now. And if he is, he doesn't understand what he's watching. During the April 5th press briefing, President Trump was asked, how do you calibrate being enthusiastic and not playing doctor? Because I want people to live, President Trump responded, and I'm seeing people dying. I'm not acting as a doctor, President Trump clarified. I'm saying do what you want, but there's some good signs with the hydroxychloroquine. You've read the signs. I've read the signs. There may be an indication that if you have a problem with your heart, you shouldn't take it, what we call the, the Z-Pack. I would love to go to a laboratory and spend a couple of years testing something. We don't have time. We don't have two hours because there are people dying right now. If it doesn't help, great. If it doesn't help, we gave it a shot. That's the way I feel. Trump then reminded the press of the Right to Try Act. So go ahead and you can look at that from the FDA, uh, the Right to Try Act. Pretty interesting stuff. And then we have some of that here. The Right to Try Act permits allowable permits slashes allow allows eligible patients to have access to eligible investigational drugs an eligible patient is a patient who has been diagnosed with a life-threatening disease or condition exhausted approved treatment options and is unable to participate in a clinical trial involving the eligible investigational drug this must be certified by a physician who is in good standing with their license organization or board and who will not be compensated directly by the manufacturer for certifying. That's interesting. Will not be compensated directly, just indirectly. <laughs> and has provided their legal authority. So an, el an, an eligible patient is also a patient who has provided or they're legally authorized uh, representative has provided written informed consent regarding the eligible investigational drug to the treating physician. An, elig an eligible investigational drug is an investigational drug for which a phase one clinical trial has been completed and has not been approved 
or licensed by the FDA for any use for which an application has been filed with the FDA or is under investigation in a clinical trial that is intended to form the primary basis of a claim of effectiveness in support of FDA approval and is a subject of an active investigational new drug application submitted to the FDA. There's a mouthful. <laughs> Who's active. So uh, last an eligible investigational drug is an investigational drug whose active development or production is ongoing and that has not been discontinued by a manufacturer or placed on clinical hold by the FDA. Mr. President, another reporter began to ask, the doctors who are treating coronavirus patients, they have the medical expertise to determine whether or not they should prescribe hydroxychloroquine. And many of them do, President Trump reminded the reporter. And there are already trials in place looking at hydroxychloroquine, the reporter continued. They should be finished in about a year, said President Trump. So why not just let the science speak for itself? The reporter asked, why are you promoting this drug? I'm not, President Trump told the reporter. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to save lives. The president reiterated, if it worked, that's great. If it doesn't, at least we tried. Very important point there. All those gotcha journalisms. I mean, if you've ever seen any of the press conferences, uh, they're pretty entertaining, actually. Um, I hope to get those up at some point, but there's a ton of them out there. They're very inter entertaining as far as what you can see, the way that the media would treat Trump, and you can compare that uh, to how they treat Biden, asking Biden about his, his cats, how's your dog doing, and stuff like that. Compare that to the questions they asked President Trump here, and his press secretary. You can do the same thing. You can clearly see it's completely, um, I wouldn't want to call it government media, but shadow government media. The invisible enemies media, perhaps. Okay, here's a quote from President Trump on uh, January, February, March, on April, April 6, 2020. I would ask that all Americans pray for the heroic doctors and nurses, for the truck drivers and grocery store workers, and for everyone fighting this battle. I had mentioned yesterday where I see the nurses rushing into hospitals and they're putting on their outfits. And they're putting on their masks and goggles in some cases. They're rushing into war. They're rushing into war. Powerful. Pretty powerful statement um, with everything going on. And now they're being uh, targeted, criticized for not wanting the vax, the experimental vaccination. But, you know, they question this is experimental vaccination because Trump was in favor of it. But <laughs> the vaccination itself um that people question apparently that's not allowed all right here we go um the april 5th 2020 press briefing began with president trump's sending well wishes to uk prime minister boris johnson whose health was worsening due to covid 19. from there president trump addressed the situation in new york and in new jersey Today, said President Trump, every patriotic American heart beats in solidarity with the incredible people for New York and New, New Jersey. They've really become a very hot zone. Some very good things are happening. In New York, the first time where the deaths were less from the previous day. That's the first drop so far. So maybe that's a good sign. It could be. And the hospital levels are starting to perhaps decrease. It's been very short, but perhaps decrease. 
So we wish Governor Cuomo and all of the people in New York great. And New Jersey, your governor is doing a great job. He's doing a great job in New Jersey. They got hit very hard. So they're kind of seeing uh, this decline, right? This curve, perhaps, this two-week curve maybe is actually happening here. Um, in Trump's eyes, not in the media's eyes, and not in a lot of the lamestream media's eyes either. You know, they want you to believe it's growing, growing, growing. Trump's not doing anything. People are dying, and Trump doesn't doesn't care. He wants you dead, right? That's what the, that was the feeling that I got, anyways, from the way that the press corps was acting during President Trump's briefings. Right? It was never a lot of praise or anything, or you know, encouragement or like. Um, just the, the questions, right, were not very constructive or pr productive questions. It was gotcha journalism. So, um, but we've come to expect that from them. So not much new. The only thing new is that now who they're doing it to has exposed them because their hatred has exposed themselves. So uh, their hatred towards President Trump really shows us who they are, what they're made of, what their real goals are. You can clearly see it now. If you could not see it before, I mean, if you you can see it now. If you still don't see it, you probably will never see it then, un unfortunately. Um, don't let your hatred for Trump blind you. And um, and the same thing is true. Don't let your, uh, you know, your encouragement for Trump or your, your, um, your belief in Trump or whatever you want to call it, don't let that blind you either. But now I'm a Trump supporter. I don't need to make excuses. Um, I don't need to point out what I disagree with him on. I do disagree with him on things. I don't need to point that out to anybody. You know, that's if people want to believe that I just blindly follow Trump. He's my leader. He's this. He's my God, my savior, you know, my hero, as they call him, these things. I don't really don't care what they say. You know, my relationship is with is with God. God is my leader. God is my hero. God is my savior. God puts people into these places for the best and for the worst in, in some cases. What I've seen in my life with President Trump being in, in office is the absolute worst the exposed, the light has been, has, is shining in this darkness, this world, this dark world. Trump was that light. Yes, I do believe that because he shined a light on this darkness and exposed it for what it was, for what we may have always thought that it was. And I think that's why more and more Trump supporters are growing and building because it's not really Trump. It's not really like people are following him. It's following the, what the country is supposed to be. Um, and you can clearly see that there is an opposite spectrum. There's an opposite end to that, where these people just want to take him down. And they just happen to be communists. They happen to be socialists. They happen to be people who have been a part of politics for years, 30, 40, 50 years, and haven't done anything good for this country. have just made it worse. And here you have somebody who is clearly threatening that, not playing their game. He's changing the game. He's doing what, you know, it's like a Theodore Roosevelt type of thing. Um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, but, you know, maybe, maybe a little Ronald Reagan or something like that too. But I don't know. I just, I've never seen any, anything like this um, with President Trump, his, his actions, what he has done, right? I'm not too concerned about with what, I find what he says entertaining, but it's his actions and they don't get enough credit. It doesn't get enough press. It doesn't get enough play. You have to really go and research it and you have to really um, watch his former, the White House YouTube channel is where you could see 
and he would have these panels of all these different people who um who were getting helped you know who were um uh who he was helping release from prisons things like that trying out new drugs experimental drugs um the gang violence the border wall crisis all that stuff um so it was a very calculated thing and you could clearly see like he really forced the media to come out and expose who they really were what their real motivation was is not to protect this country it's complete opposite well here you have this invisible enemy that is doing the exact same thing is attacking trump is attacking this nation is attacking the world but attacking what this country the greatest country ever what we built up here it is a clear target well, the numbers remain very, very low in China and other places. <laughs> okay, sure. So here's what he says. This is an all-out military operation that we've waged. President Trump reminded the press in attendance and everyone watching at home, especially over the last number of weeks. 50 states and territories have now been approved for major disaster declarations, which is very unusual. Thanks to the Army Corps of Engineers, New York City's Jetvis Center is now one of the largest hospitals in the United States. It's designated for treatment of the virus patients and staffed by hundreds of federal medical personnel deployed from two Army hospital units, and they're doing a great job. This was something that we didn't expect us to do, but they needed help, and we sent federal troops. Not only troops, we also sent a lot of very talented doctors, nurses, first responders. People are now running Javits. As of Tuesday, President Trump continued, we'll have deployed over 3,000 military and public health professionals to New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and other parts of the country. 3,000, and that number is going up. And we hope we're seeing a leveling off in the hottest spots of them all. So we'll see. You'll be seeing that over the next few days let's see what happens but we are prepared and that's what the big thing right the outbreaks were really happening where all these people were confined in these in these places the big cities the big major cities and the rural areas it wasn't really you know wasn't the cases weren't either that known or maybe we didn't know about them they weren't being tested but it just seemed like it was always in these metropolis cities these big cities and were the ones that were being hit because oh, because there's more people everybody's you know carousing and everything so I mean, just think back of it, of, of this time here where the whole nation, the whole country was just completely, completely shut down. That's pretty interesting. So even though he inherited a broken system, President Trump announced they have been able to test 1,670,000 people for COVID-19. Some interesting numbers. Um, additionally, the United States has purchased and stockpiled 29 million pills of the hydroxychloroquine. I wonder where those are right now. They're being used. A lot of drugstores have them by prescription, President Trump explained, and they're not expensive. Well, there you go. The farms are not going to like that. Pharmaceutical companies are not going to like that because uh, that's going to change the game for them. Um, of course, they'll probably just try to buy them all up, I would imagine. President Trump explained, and they're not expensive. Also, we're sending them to various labs, our military. We're sending them to the hospitals. We're sending them all over. I just think it's something, you know, the expression, I've used it for certain reasons. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? And a lot of people are saying that when and are taking it. If you're a doctor, a nurse, a first responder, a medical person going into hospitals, they say taking it before the fact is good. But what do you have to lose? They say 
take it. COVID-19 has spread across 182 countries as of April 6, 2020. With the faith of our families, said President Trump, and the spirit of our people and the grace of our God, we will endure, we will overcome, we will prevail. We have learned so much. We will be stronger than ever. Asked if he saw a light at the end of the tunnel, President Trump responded, I see light at the end of the tunnel. I think indications are some of the numbers coming out today. I think, you know, we had a very good meeting today. We're seeing things that we don't even report because we think it's too early to report. No, I think, you know, we're seeing things happen that are very good. And we also know all of us, including the medical professionals, that we have to open our country up. We have to get to go. We have to open our country up. No country was designed for this where you close it. We're in the midst of the greatest economic boom in history for any country. Our country had the greatest economic boom in history. We had the most people working that we've ever had, almost 160 million people. And then from 160 million, they want nobody to leave the house. You know, you could use the term cold turkey, right? That's called cold turkey. Countries are not designed. This country is not designed for that. We have to get our country back, and I think it's going to come back, and I hope it's going to come back very quickly. Wow. Well, what do you say to that? Trump did the two-week curve thing. He did what, what they wanted, what the scientists, the medical experts, what they all said should be done. He did it. And we started to see a, de a decline. And what happened? What happened? Then all of a sudden, after President Trump gets out of office, we have a new variant, two new variants. Everybody needs booster shots. They want to vaccinate everybody. They have a mandate going on, not only in this country, but in many other countries. I just don't think that would have happened if President Trump would have won in 2020. Um, so, uh, of course, and that's a whole other question. Did he win or did he not? That's the reason why I stopped this book kind of midway, 175 pages in, uh, was to focus on that book, to focus on the voter fraud 2020 book. So, that one, obviously, you know, these, it's like these things here and, and, and then a speech. So it's like three things that could get you banned on YouTube, Facebook, right? And all related to, to Trump. Um, Trump talking about COVID, uh, talking about experimental things, alternatives, right? To what the big pharma wants us to really do. Um, Trump talking about voter fraud, which we know is true. There's no doubt voter fraud has been happening forever. But just looking at the voter fraud in 2020, it's clear. It definitely happened. There's no doubt. Um, and the other thing is just Trump's speeches, right? Because Trump gets blamed for the January 6th thing that happened where people, idiots, a bunch of idiots, stormed the, the Congress. Um, and I think that was part of a false flag. I think some real people got caught up in it. But I think at mostly it was a big false flag. And a lot of them were let in. There's videos, there's photos that show that too, that they were let in on January 6th. Trump never advocated for what happened there for any bonds, for anything like that. For anyone to su suggest that he would, they just have no idea what they're talking about. So um, I've really enjoyed doing this series here. We're only about 58 pages in, and these 58 pages, besides a few minor um, typos, are ready 
to go. So I'm very, I, this book, I'm actually excited reading this and going back through this for the first time with you here, uh, somewhat live, uh, live to, to tape, just because it's really starting to motivate me to get back into this book and to hopefully finish this book here. And I don't know where it's going to end, where to end it, because um, we're still living it here. So um, I don't know. There may be a lot of jumps in this, but I love that I put the stats and the numbers and all, all Trump's speeches because you can't find them now. So I'm glad I have all of that stuff in there. Uh, I wish I would have been a little more diligent about the videos, but in my replays, they're all there, but they're not like in order. So I wish I would have done a better job with that. Um, so anyways, God bless you all. And uh, we'll be back episode seven and we'll continue on. We'll next we're going to look at April 8th of 2020 and continue on. God bless you all. Thank you for taking the time to watch this. Murder at 1051 Ramsdale Drive. What happened to David Crowley, his wife and his daughter? If this was truly a double murder suicide, why did investigators fail to prove David Crowley guilty? Where is the evidence David Crowley killed his wife and daughter? Where is the evidence David Crowley killed himself? Within 24 hours of finding the bodies of David, Kamel, and Rania Crowley, the Apple Valley Police Department were treating the incident as a double murder-suicide. Authorities cannot prove David wrote Allahu Akbar in his wife's blood on the living room wall. Authorities cannot prove David wrote, I have loved you all with all of my heart on a laptop in the kitchen. Authorities cannot prove David wrote, Open the Rise, most recent version, submit to Allah now on a notepad in his office bedroom. Authorities cannot prove the dog trapped inside the house ate David's right hand, both of Kamel's hands, and their daughter's right arm, since dog feces tests were never done. Authorities did not know about a bullet that rolled out of a living room carpet until they were notified by the cleaning company, two days after the bodies were found. That bullet would later be tied to Rania Crowley. Authorities did not see the bullet hole in the living room ceiling or the bullet in the attic above until they questioned David's friend a month after the bodies were found. Authorities did not find a motive to support their accusations against David Crowley. Authorities did not find David's blood on any of the bullets at the crime scene. Authorities do not know when David, Kamel, and Rania Crowley died. What we know for sure is that David Crowley has not been proven guilty. Murder at 1051 Ramsdale Drive. What happened to David Crowley, his wife, and his daughter? If this was truly a double murder-suicide, why did investigators fail to prove David Crowley guilty? Where is the evidence David Crowley killed his wife and daughter? Where is the evidence David Crowley killed himself? 
Within 24 hours of finding the bodies of David Kamel and Rania Crowley, the Apple Valley Police Department were treating the incident as a double murder-suicide. Authorities cannot prove David wrote Allahu Akbar in his wife's blood on the living room wall. Authorities cannot prove David wrote I have loved you all with all of my heart on a laptop in the kitchen. Authorities cannot prove David wrote Open the Rise most recent version Submit to Allah Now on a notepad in his office bedroom. Authorities cannot prove the dog trapped inside the house ate David's right hand, both of Kamel's hands, and their daughter's right arm, since dog feces tests were never done. Authorities did not know about a bullet that rolled out of the living room carpet until they were notified by the cleaning company two days after the bodies were found. That bullet would later be tied to Rania Crowley. Authorities did not see the bullet hole in the living room ceiling or the bullet in the attic above until they questioned David's friend a month after the bodies were found. Authorities did not find a motive to support their accusations against David Crowley. Authorities did not find David's blood on any of the bullets at the crime scene. Authorities do not know when David Kamel and Rania Crowley died. What we know for sure is that David Crowley has not been proven guilty. Sophia from the Gray Stage podcast, and I'd like to invite all of our listeners to join the Justice for David Crowley and Family group located on Facebook, where we have almost 4,000 members. In this group, we welcome discussions regarding the case and have all of the documents located in the files section for everyone to review. If you like, you're welcome to visit Greg Fernandez Jr.'s website called The Gray Stage. It's located at thegraystagewordpress.com. You can find his book and all the official documents for this case at his website. Lastly, I'd like to introduce you to Catherine Michelle, who's a part of this podcast. Catherine Michelle has a YouTube channel under her name, where she mainly discusses the Crowley case. So please feel free to stop by and give her channel a like and a listen. Until our next podcast, keep seeking the truth and justice for David Crowley and his family. Are you interested in the paranormal? Murder mysteries cryptocurrency, and thought-provoking interviews. Then check out Crypt Rick's I've Been Thinking on YouTube or every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Studio A at Revolution Radio. Freedomslips.com Welcome to the Crypt.
Hey, what's up everybody? This is Ross from Planet X Filmworks channel on YouTube and the Zodiac Files True Crime series. Check it out and shout out to Greg and the Grey Stage channel. Their content is amazing.